Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with my cohort, Amy Wees. And this is Seller Roundtable number 22. And we are excited to have Jeff Schick with us today. He's an Amazon seller and a Amazon legal ninja. Can I call you that, Jeff? You can. Yeah, there's no issue with that. You can't <laughs> call me a legal expert, apparently. That's the, uh, the oh, buzzword okay. I'm not allowed to use. Uh, okay, right, right, right. Do we do we have to preface this whole thing with like, like this is not uh, legal advice unless you pay me, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. I, at least I didn't have to say it. It sounds right. better coming from you guys. <laughs> All right, perfect, perfect, perfect. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for much, uh, so much for joining us today, and uh, pretty excited to uh, to pick your brain on a lot of. Uh, I would say this is probably if not the biggest, one of the biggest uh, frustrations with Amazon sellers, where it, when it comes to you know anything legal with Amazon, uh, you know, in the, in the past few years, it's gotten better. Trust me. Cause I started in 2013 and, uh, back then it was like, good luck getting any Amazon to do anything. It's getting better, but there's still a ton of frustration, uh, when it comes to dealing with Amazon. So before we, we get into meat of things, can you, uh, tell us a little bit, uh, more about your background, uh, share as little or as much as you like, uh, where you're born, uh, where you live now, past jobs, college, all that, all that fun stuff, just to kind of get uh, people up to speed on, on, on who you are and, and what you do. Certainly. So, um, all right, cool. I guess I was born in, and raised in Atlanta, which is really rare if you ever know people from Atlanta because there's so many transient people there. So it's, uh, it's, so I was born and raised there, lived there up until 2014 uh, when I went off to law school up in Philadelphia. I went to college actually in Ithaca, New York um, at Cornell. So I was my first sentence in the uh, frigid north. And then I decided I want to go back and be tortured a little more for law school. So I uh, went to law school in Philadelphia at Penn. Um, and then uh, after law school, graduate, graduated, moved down to uh, West Palm Beach into Wellington, which is horse country, Florida. So I, uh, that's where I currently live. That's where our law firm's based out of Florida. But we've actually got some lawyers all over. So Paul Rafelson is up in Connecticut. And then we've got a lawyer, Vern Franciscan, who's out in Seattle. So I hold down the, floor, the fort in Florida. Um, I guess uh, past jobs kind of been varied. I've always been involved in like Amazon since 2011 is when I started it. Um, at the time, I was working for the university as a research assistant. And then also my parents um, are veterinarians. So I worked with my mom on her veterinary hospital. So that's kind of how I got into the game. And uh, I've been kind of in those the animal health realm ever since, I guess, and it's legal as well. So Amazon, legal, and animal health have been kind of my three strong areas. So, cool. When uh, the, you got me beat, I thought 2013 was uh, was old school, but you get you got me beat. So you you remember then uh, when you first started out, how you know back then if you got hijacked or you know, had any issue where you had to contact seller support, it was literally like pulling your hair out because <laughs> there was nothing you could do. I remember I, I, I always tell people this story whenever they're like, Oh man, I'm so frustrated with Amazon. I was like, you have no idea. <laughs> Once forlorn in 2014, we had our entire, just about our entire catalog hijacked for in the entirety of Q4 and we lost uh, net, you know, six figures from just from that, you know, like, we lost a ton of money and there was literally nothing I could do. I, I remember getting up every day 
and emailing like everybody I like seller support, like every day, like, uh, you know, I had a few contacts back then, um, you know, emailing them every day and them just being like, Oh, you have to do a test order. I'm like, they're in friggin' China. It'll take a month and a half. Like Q4 will be over. Like it was just like the ultimate like frustration. And I know people still have that now, but it's nothing like it was back then. Did you have any horror stories like that when you first started on Amazon? So I guess I got, I was lucky. I was selling pet products. So it really wasn't too, uh, too competitive yet. The Chinese didn't realize that Americans liked pets. They just ate them at the time. So it, uh, so it was uh, an easy, it was an easier time. My biggest issues were back in the day when I like, you know, sellers, there were no courses. So it was all self-taught trial and error. So when you would create, you know, a listing or do anything, you'd just, you'd see how it went, you know, and you just kind of throw stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. So at one point they, they used to require, I don't know if when you started in 2013, they required packing slips. I think that was past the days of packing slips though in 13, right? Or am I wrong about that? I can't, I can't remember. I, I remember doing packing slips. Um, so it, so probably. <laughs> so this was right before box content was rolled out. You still had to do packing slips. And so I remember at one point I was trying to save money and a product that I'd been sending in in 12 packs, I started sending in in 72 packs. And this just gives you a, a difference in how Amazon's changed over the years. So what I did is I started changing everything to these 72 packs and it worked for about two months. And then all of a sudden I got a call from Seattle and it was an Amazon representative and seller performance. They uh, wanted to know if I was free and I was walking. Uh, I think I was going to like take a final. So <laughs> I, was gonna, I was like, Oh, this is fun. So I went to, uh, I told him, no, I'm not free. He said, well, here's my number. Call me back when you are. So, I made myself free about 30 minutes later um, and called him back. He's like, okay, well, nothing super serious, but your account's temporarily suspended um, until we talk to you. Like, that's why I made myself available. He said it's going to be suspended until I talk to him. So I logged on. He goes, so your account's suspended. You know, go to this website. It was Amazon Seller Central. And he tells me to type in this, like, string of numbers and letters into the search bar. So I do that. And it pulls up the policy on what qualifies as a case pack. And he made me read it to him line by line. And at the end of it, he goes, do you understand what you did wrong? And of course, I'm, you know, pretend, you know, no, I have no idea what I did wrong. He's like, well, this one product you've been sitting in is 12 packs, all of a sudden became 72 packs. And we think you're doing this to game the system. And I'm like, oh, I wonder why. <laughs> you know, this, that's right when they launched multi-fulfillment center routing. Before, it used to be you'd create an order and everything would go to one warehouse. Yep. And this was right when they were launching the whole splitting the orders. So that was partially why. So he basically was like, yeah, we don't think 72 is a valid case quantity based on the fact that you're the only seller sending in this product is a quantity of 72. So it's uh, clearly not correct. So you, do you understand that you're not going to do this in the future? And I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, okay, I've reinstated your account. Glad that we understand. Make sure you read the rest of these policies so I don't have to call you again. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was how suspensions used to be handled back in the day, or at least that's how my suspension experience was for uh, Amazon my two hour suspension. <laughs> and, uh, oh, that, that, that's better. Now we got suspended in the beginning too. I think everybody who's ever sold on Amazon, if they don't have a suspension story, they're like, you're not doing it right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> within, I think within like the first two or three months, um, I can't, I can't remember the exact reason. I don't know if our, our business took off really quickly. So I don't know if they like thought there was something fishy going on there. Or um, I think it might have been like, sh uh, sh you know, shipping stuff on time. I honestly can't remember. But uh, I think for us, it lasted like a month. So that was pretty frustrating, too. Yeah. 
Wow. That's yeah. I've seen some sellers be suspended for a couple of weeks. You know, that's part of our practice area that we help sellers with is the suspension. And it's certainly, certainly tough, especially it's kind of hard sometimes when you see the sellers that they clearly done some stuff wrong. And you're like, how do you help them? Because on the, on the one hand, you need to sell, help the seller because they deserve a second chance. And on the other hand, you're like, gosh, but what are they doing to other sellers too? It's a, definitely, is that's the, probably the hardest thing about my job now is, balancing the moral issue between you know right 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 yeah you, people I, I was the same way it was you know it was uh what was it like four years ago now probably i don't know but when people started doing the whole like discount for reviews right i in the right. beginning didn't do that because i just felt like you know it was it was like dishonest and i was like i really don't want to play that game and all that kind of stuff but within a year i mean my competitors were just kicking starting to kick our butt so it was like one of those things where we said okay you can't beat them join them and at that time, I actually uh, spun up my own review service as well. Uh, that's a whole other story. But uh, I totally get what you're saying where on one side, you're, you know, you want to you help sellers be successful. But on the other side, if they're doing, you know, some, some low down dirty stuff, uh, because you were a seller in the past and you had to, t- had to deal with sellers cheating, you know, that I could see how that could be a, a real challenge. Exactly. Yeah. So it's. It's certainly, certainly interesting, especially like I had a couple of weeks ago, we had our first conflict of interest ever arise. And that was a unique experience because, you know, being in the Amazon, there's 6 million sellers. And how do you ever foresee two of those 6 million having an issue and both reaching out to me and being people that I know and just not knowing them from their seller names. And so having to tell both of them that I couldn't help them, that was an interesting one too. Was that because you, do you still sell on Amazon or, or was that another conflict of interest? No, so I still sell on Amazon for oh, okay. a couple brands that want it, but this uh-huh. was unrelated to my sales. This was two sellers, um, one of them that was alleging that the other seller was hijacking and the other seller alleging that the other seller filed a bogus IP infringement complaint. And then once they both submitted their info, me realizing that they're both, <laughs> neither of them had signed an engagement letter. They both were reaching out at the exact same time for help and having to tell, and they both came from different groups that I'm a part of. So I met both of them and knew them and happened to tell both of them, hey, I can't, can't do anything with either of you guys. Go find their own lawyers. You know, this yeah. is, uh, is an interesting one to have happen. <laughs> that Here. is. That, that's crazy. Very interesting. Um, what, uh, what kind of programs are you seeing from Amazon? Uh, you know, do you think they're doing, doing things right? Or are, are they moving in the wrong direction or the right direction with things like the Amazon uh, Zero program? Uh, you know, are you familiar with that? Have you dealt with uh, people using that or uh, you know, complaining about that? Any, any uh, feedback on, on those uh, brand registry, um, you know, Amazon Zero, all those types of programs that Amazon's starting to uh, push a lot more? Yeah, so Project Zero is quite interesting. Um, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to help, but I think it's going to be abused a lot, mainly because it's up to the brands to be honest and say that they're removing someone who's actually selling counterfeit products and not just trying to remove somebody because they don't like them selling their product. So I think it's going to be a lot of issues going forward with brands trying to use Project Zero as the new you know, way to avoid paying lawyers to remove unauthorized sellers but instead they're just going to try to remove them with false counterfeit complaints. So I think that the tool is necessary because there's so many counterfeit product products on Amazon and so many counterfeit distributors on Amazon, but it's not, it's not respecting the rights of people for the first sale doctrine enough. So it's going to be, it'll be challenging. And um, that's the only major program that they're rolling out at this time to address that. They don't have any programs in the launch for dealing with the authorized and unauthorized seller problem either. Um, 
Other programs that I think are more harmful to sellers, though, are actually like the manufacturer accelerator program, because it's that's you know Amazon's way of getting to make their own private label brands without people realizing that it's an Amazon brand. So that that leads me into a, a, a I thought of a great question while while you were uh, talking about that. So as a private label seller, if somebody uh, you know if you get a quote unquote hijacker on your listing, right? So say you're a private label seller, you don't you don't wholesale, you don't um, you know you you don't have any uh, you're not you're not selling your product to anybody else. You're not wholesaling it. You're not nobody's an authorized distributor, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, and, and all of a sudden you see somebody pop up on your listing with, with a prime item, um, mm-hmm. w- in, in the legal sense, um, I know that a lot of people are like buying and reselling, you know, whether that, you know, a lot of sellers okay. will do like discounts, things like that. Um, legally, what, what can a private label seller do to protect against those types of hijackers, if anything? So it depends on if the hijacker is selling counterfeit goods or lawfully acquired goods. So that's one of the major issues with some of the launch services is that you'll give away all these products for a deep discount. Someone will buy them at say 90% off or 60% off. And they know that you're going to raise the price in the future. So they'll hold on to it for a couple months and then sell it once it, the product's got more velocity and rank. And because those were lawfully acquired goods, even though they were acquired with a coupon, they're still legitimate items. And so if you report them as selling counterfeit goods, now you're creating a problem because you're making a false counterfeit complaint and they have more rights in that situation than you as the brand owner. Now, if you have a trademark, you've got, you know, your policies in place that create material differences between law, you know, products that are being sold by you versus products sold by others, then you have more of a leg to stand on to go after them. But it really should be done on the off Amazon context, not through brand registry because brand registry or trademark infringement reporting is not necessarily supposed to be used for, reporting someone selling materially different products, it's really supposed to be like, for instance, Velcro uses brand registry correctly when they remove someone who's selling a pair of tennis shoes that says Velcro straps on it, when in reality it's supposed to be hook and loop closure. Like that's the appropriate use of brand registry under the trademark tab. Um, just like counterfeit should be if someone's selling, you know, a Louis Vuitton handbag that it's really not Louis Vuitton, that would be the appropriate use of Project Zero or the counterfeit tab. So it becomes really... It, it becomes really dicey when people start just using random, you know, infringement forms just because they were trying to move a hijacker. So it gets a, uh, it's a little complicated. Yeah. So, so a lot the, complicated. yeah. So, so that's interesting. So, I mean, besides, uh, you know, besides doing a test order, um, is that the only way where, you know, because how are, as a seller, how are you going to know whether that person um, is, is selling something that they've acquired legally or, uh, you know, if it's, if it's something that's, uh, uh, quote unquote, um, you know, hijacked or I, I mean, um, counterfeit item. Counterfeit. Right. So, yeah. I mean, even doing the test order is essential. So like even with the brands that we represent, we have to do test buys to see if it's actually a real product or not, because it's, it'd be pretty negligent. So just go on and assume, well, I don't sell the wholesale. I don't sell this or that and just assume that it's a counterfeit product. Like for instance, um, Amazon has a program that if you don't have your returns sent back to your warehouse, they can actually sell the returns to a liquidator as an unmanifested return. So somebody could be purchasing your unfulfillable inventory and then just making it semi-fulfillable and sending it back in. Now that would be materially different. So it's a form of trademark infringement, but it's not counterfeit. So if you just go ahead and assume that they're selling counterfeit products, 
and then you make that complaint to Amazon and they get kicked out, then now you, you're the one that's got an issue because you accused them of a crime because counterfeiting in the United States is a crime. So if you're making a report to Amazon telling, the, telling them that someone's selling counterfeit products, you're making a legal report that they're committing a crime. That's, and that's what makes it considered you know, liable per se. And it's got really strict penalties if somebody actually sues back. So that's why a test buy is absolutely essential because, um, you know, obviously if you get that fake Louis Vuitton bag and you know that it's fake, then sure, go ahead and report a counterfeit. But if you get that, if you buy it and it's, a, you know, maybe it was a liquidated inventory or something and it's, you know, and it's a legitimate Louis Vuitton bag, then as unhappy as you would be, you wouldn't want to report it as counterfeit because it's not. Okay, interesting. So a couple follow-ups to that one is, um, you know, I, I've, I've read so many, you know, there's so many, so much conflicting information on this. That's, that's why, you know, I'm super excited that you came on so that we can get a lot of clarification on this, including myself. Right. Um, so one of the things that I, that I've, you know, kind of researched is like, so if somebody's, you know, purchasing your product and then reselling it back on Amazon, technically, sure. uh, doesn't it become a used product then uh, per Amazon's, uh, policies, you know, so technically it's, it, it's no longer a new product that should be listed as a used product. Is that incorrect? Or um, what, what's your experience and recommendations for something like that? Well, I'd say that one depends um, because, you know, if you look at so many, uh, what so many Amazon sellers do with the retail arbitrage space, that's exactly what they're doing when they go to TJ Maxx and Ross and they purchase products or even the Nike store and they purchase products and then sell them on Amazon. So, if they're still in the new packaging and they meet all the criteria of Amazon's condition guidelines, then they are considered new products. The issue where it becomes that you, that maybe it becomes a used product is if they, for instance, you know, it goes back to like the material differences, which um, is a legal concept, material differences, meaning like say you create a warranty policy or a quality control policy or a customer service guarantee policy and say that those policies only apply to purchases from your storefront. Well, now when they sell the product, if they're selling it as a new item, they're selling an item that doesn't come with any of those guarantees and return policies and, and warranties. So now you actually have more of a legal claim to say that, hey, they should have listed this as a used product because under the new condition guideline, it says it comes with all, you know, all, um, uh, all warranties and manufacturer, you know, guarantees and everything that you would expect of a new product. So that's where you run into an issue and could have like that gotcha against a hijacker. But on the same line of thought, you still have to watch out because reporting them through brand registry at that point is probably not the appropriate way. It'd be more appropriate to report them through seller performance and say that they're selling an item that's not as described rather than trying to say that they're selling counterfeit because it's still not counterfeit. And it's still not necessarily, it is, it is trademark infringement, but it's not necessarily trademark infringement of the part of the point that you would go on to brand registry and report it as trademark infringement because there's different you know, levels of trademark infringement that they want reported. Interesting. So, so my, all this is, is, is really interesting where I feel like that's the way that the setup is now where it fails, I think is going back to, to the test order policy. Um, especially if, uh, if it's a prime item where Amazon can, you know, literally go and dig the, dig that product out of their fulfillment center and visually inspect it like right there. Um, yes. But the other problem is also is these, you know, these, these shipments coming from China, especially, but from, you know, other parts of the world where, you know, they're sending it the slowest way possible. It takes a month 
uh, you know, or whatever. And then we've gotten, uh, you know, deliveries for test orders before where instead of our product, they threw like a keychain or something in there because they knew that, you know, we're the, that we're the, the brand owner and we're doing a test buy. Um, right. any, any suggestions or any, uh, tips, tricks, you know, how to deal with those types of things. Those ones are much, those are difficult, difficult, but definitely, you know, documentation and sending it into Amazon, letting them know what's going on in that sort of situation. That's when it would become appropriate to report it as, you know, you know, an item that's not meeting the, the detail page because Amazon still cares about that. Right. And especially if they're sending in, you know, a counterfeit item saying that, you know, cause they just recently clarified Amazon clarified their policy to say that now counterfeit mean it doesn't it used to be that Amazon required that in order for it to be counterfeit they would actually like if they if you were selling you know I go keep going back to Louis Vuitton because it's iconic and everyone knows it so if you're selling a purse on Amazon and it's just a black purse with nothing special just a black bag and you put it under the Louis Vuitton listing Amazon used to not consider that counterfeit they just recently changed it so that if you're selling under the Louis Vuitton um, you know brand on Amazon and you sell that black bag with nothing on it, it's just the same as if you'd sold a bag that had the LV on it. Because before, they used to consider counterfeit as only being items that are stamped with the word LV or, you know, the brand name as, be, as being actually counterfeit. It's kind of a weird distinction that they had. Um, again, where Amazon differs from federal law because Amazon tries to make up their own rules. So now they're actually saying, hey, if you're, you know, so that, key, that example you said of the keychain, you could actually legitimately claim counterfeit because they're selling it as if it's the product, you know, your private label product, but it's really not. And so now it's, you know, it's okay to say, to so, claim counterfeit. It's kind of an interesting distinction. Yeah, I was going to say, and that also translates uh, directly to private label, label sellers. You know, if you're getting something from, uh, uh, from, you know, from China that, you know, maybe a lot of other people are sourcing the exact same product, but it carries, um, you know, a stamped uh, trademark you know, on the product, then technically um, in Amazon's eyes, that would kind of be the same situation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's also a big issue for a lot of people in the private label space is that you may find going to your water bottle example, that there's a water bottle that says, you know, water bottle 2.0 and that's a trademark thing. Um, and that's your listing is water bottle 2.0. And then somebody else finds water bottle on a, that same looking water bottle on Alibaba. And they send it in and put it on your listing. Um, it used to be the case that that was not considered counterfeit in the eyes of Amazon. Now they've revamped with Project Zero, at least, that is considered counterfeit. So you could report it as such. And you're, we're seeing a lot more suspensions for that uh, coming our way because people are selling products that are, um, you know, they're getting hit with a counterfeit complaint. And they don't understand because they went to this, like maybe they went to this distributor or they went to Alibaba. And it's exactly the same product that they listed against. But they don't notice that it says, you know, you know, water bottle 2.0 by water bottle 2019 or whatever. Is right, being, right, right. That's, you know, right. So it's kind of an interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. That, that also makes it extremely hard, like you said, for uh, sellers to know what to report. That, I think that's like you said earlier, like that's where they're going to have problems with that with that Amazon Zero program, because it's going to be extremely hard for them to prove, uh, you know, the seller's intent, because if the seller goes, well, um, you know, I know that this person's not carrying, you know, they're selling the same thing, but it's not carrying my brand. You know, how are you going to know unless you do it, you know, once again, do a test order. And, uh, you know, that, that's where that, I guess that, that program starts to fall apart is because there's, there's so many, uh, you know, it's so ambiguous on, on, you know, what's, what's considered, um, you know, 
you know, I guess uh, I forget the terminology, but like where you, where you can, uh, you know, almost like fair use, like resell something. Um, and then, and then the other, uh, you know, the other way of, you know, somebody, you know, might have the exact same water bottle, like you said, but it doesn't carry the branding. Um, so that's where there's a, there's a big minefield there. (laughs) Exactly. No, it's, it's a, it's a huge risk for sellers and it's an even bigger risk. I think for brands is it going forward as people try to figure out what's actually going on here. Yeah. Because nobody knows the answer to that. Interesting. Um, so we have a couple of questions. That's what's cool about uh, this format. The way we do this here is we we uh, we let uh, the live audience ask questions as we go, which uh, makes it a little more fun than than just uh, you and I talking at each other. <laughs> uh, w- one of the questions is: uh, Can a person open more than one professional account with one LLC or multiple LLCs? Um, I know the answer um, to that, but Jeff, you'll probably have a better one than I do. So um, legally, not with the same LLC. Um, with Amazon's permission, you can open up more than one seller account, um, but they require that each seller account have a different LLC, a different business bank account associated with it, and a different tax ID. Um, really, Amazon, when they're having these sort of scenarios with multiple seller accounts, uh, t- times that they will grant permission for you to have more than one is if you're selling categories um, that are uh, they don't work well with one another. So, for instance, if you were selling, um, like I have, we have a client that was selling live insects, and um, and then also one of their, and then they were trying to start going into private label baby products. Well, um, the bug factory selling baby products not really going to work too well. So <laughs> they went to Amazon and asked for permission, and Seller Performance granted it. So now they've got a you know a baby products account, and they've got a live insect account. Because obviously cockroaches and pacifiers, not right. really that, that, something that, moms will want to find. Right. I think that, that, that wouldn't work too well, but I think uh, it would be even worse if it was like adult toys and, and baby products. He, he, I think that that'd be even is now in that, uh, that category as well. <laughs> so if you've got a third color oh, count. Oh, man. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're diversifying. I like it. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's hilarious. So, okay. um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so that. That, yeah, so Amazon will grant it, but um, the key thing to keep in mind is that they do link them all together. So if you have, you know, a, say you start selling counterfeit, you know, baby products under your baby products account, they're going to take down every single one of your accounts and withhold the funds and inventory until you fix the problem. So it's not like they're, you know, it's not, it does diversify, but it doesn't protect you against Amazon if they suspend you because they're all linked. Um, might not be immediate, but it will happen within usually 24 to 48 hours and, the first suspension. Um, other things to think about, there are people out there that do have self-accounts. Um, obviously, it's that's against Amazon's policies, and so it's, you know, you're taking a risk if you do it. And so you just have to really know what, I guess, you know, what you're doing if you're going to do that because it's such a risky territory to go into to do that. Right. And another thing to mention too, guys, is if you are going to do that, uh, you you have to contact Amazon first and ask for permission. I mean, you want to get all your ducks in a row first, and then before you try to set up that new account and even you know start plugging in your your data in that new account, you want to make sure that you email. Uh, I believe it's Seller Performance, right, Jeff, to get that permission. Correct. It is yeah. Seller Performance, so you're going to ask them for um, you know they'll they'll give you a whole list of questions that you have to provide information on to prove that it's a different business and have everything. You're set up separately, um, and that's actually—it's really more complicated than doing it yourself because, um, you know, Amazon's not going to let you have multiple accounts unless you have multiple LLCs. Well, with multiple LLCs, if you don't structure correctly, that means multiple tax returns. So now all of a sudden you're filing all these different tax returns, um, both on the sales tax front and the income tax front. So you really want to keep 
professional counsel for getting that set up because, you know, it'd be much better to file one master return, for instance, and have them all structured where it's a consolidated corporate reporting group than to have it be, you know, just DIY because LegalZoom is super cheap because it'll save you money on the front end to go to LegalZoom, but you're going to spend a ton of money on the back end when it comes April 15th or March 15th and you're filing that, all those tax returns. Yeah, it's interesting. What about, uh, what about uh, if you have, uh, you know, different partners for each business? Well, that's, that's different then because then you probably don't have a consolidated entity group and you would want to have, you know, separate tax returns for each business because, um, you know, the worst thing that could happen is that you have one business that's profitable and one that's not, and then you, your partners don't know which, who deserves what. So right. definitely if you've got multiple partners, you know, for different businesses, think about getting that and, and that's even more reason to have, have an attorney set everything up because sometimes partnerships don't work and you don't want to find that out. You don't want to find out what your partners are like when you're divorcing them. Right. Basically. Yep. Yep. Totally get that. Cool. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at SellerRoundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, SellerSEO.com and AmazingAtHome.com.